are starting a new series today. We're calling it the Reformation Series. Would you say that with me? The Reformation Series. All right, try it again. The Reformation Series. Right, you're wondering, do I copy you or do I say it at the same time? Right. And so I have three purposes over the next four weeks that I'm believing God's going to transpire in mine and your life through this series. Number one, uh, that this would be a call to reform to remodel, to update, to change out, to restore some of the areas in our lives that we've allowed the enemy to, uh, to kind of get into. Uh, and the second purpose that I have with this series is that, uh, that this could be a, uh, a basic education about the Protestant Reformation, a little bit about where we as Christians and Protestant Christians come from. And then the third goal that I have is that by the end of this, that you and I would develop a declaration of statutes that give guidance to our families. That we literally would write down and say, this is what we, the McCains, will and will not do. This is who we are, this is who God's made us, and this is what we plan to do with our lives for the kingdom of God. And that's my goal, is that by the end of that, uh, by the end of this series, that these purposes have been met. I feel like the Lord gave them to me, and I feel like it's going to help you and me. So with that being said, let's jump in straight away. Uh, there are two things that are going to be running simultaneously uh, as illustrations during this series. Uh, first, we're going to uh, run as an illustration simultaneously to this, um, uh, the, the Reformation and what transpired in church history and kind of give you a little bit of education with that. At the same time, we're going to illustrate, um, I, I kind of went through something at my home and had to do some remodeling. And so, so we'll be running those two illustrations as we look at how would we go about and how are we going to go about kind of remodeling or reforming our life to match the things that God has in store for us instead of allowing the enemy to destroy. And so with that being said, our key scripture, Jeremiah chapter seven. If you turn there quickly, Jeremiah chapter seven and verse three, uh, not verse four. There you go. Just verse three. Thank you. My media team's a rock star. So Jeremiah chapter seven and verse three, and this is what it says. It says, and this is what the Lord almighty, the God of Israel says, reform your ways and your actions, and I'll let you live in this place. So let me kind of give you a breakdown. What has transpired here in the book of Jeremiah is what we constantly see happening with the people of God. Israel, this particular uh, uh, time is with Judah. And so, and so we see this constantly going back and forth to the worship of other gods. They say, God, you're our God. And then they'll go back and start worshiping the gods that everybody else is worshiping around them. And so this particular season, what has transpired is they have the temple. And so they have this concept in their mind. As long as we have God's temple, then God's okay with what we're doing. Because we know that God abides in his temple and his house. So as long as we have God's house, we know that God must be okay with what we're, how we're living. We know that we can't be destroyed because God's house is here. And nobody's bigger than our God because he's the God who did all these great wonders and got us, you know, th you know, past this thing and through the Red Sea and all these type of things. And so surely God's okay. But what had been transpiring was they didn't do away with God. What they did was added all the little gods, all the little false gods and brought them into the temple and we're worshiping all these gods along with Jehovah God. And so God gets ticked off. He's frustrated and he comes to them through the prophet Jeremiah and gives them a warning. And if you read the first seven chapters uh, of Jeremiah, it is wapow, 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 wapow. And then he gives a little bit of a reprieve here in verse 3 of chapter 7, when he says, But if you will reform yourself, if you will change what you've been allowing to be in your life, if you will come to me and let me help you come out of the sin that you've allowed into, our, into the temple, into our lives, if you will come to me, then I will keep you 
in this place. And what he's talking about, I will keep you in the promised land. I will keep you in a place of safety. I will keep you in my heart and you, and I will be in your heart. I will keep you close to me. You will live and continue to abide in the promised land. Friend, can I tell you how many Christians do I know that think because God hasn't struck them down dead that he must be okay with their adulterous affair? How many Christians do I know that are acting just the same way out of this passage where they think, well, God hasn't stopped it yet, so he must be okay with it. Friend, that is a lie from the pit of hell. I knew a man who was in outright adultery, and that man thought because he could still prophesy that God was okay with him. When, friend, let me tell you something, those little critters had gotten into his life, and just because God had not struck him down dead did not mean that God was pleased. In fact, when he comes to them in the book of Jeremiah, he says, not only am I pleased, but you need to understand something, baby. Girl, let me explain something to you. This temple will probably be destroyed because of the way you're living. This place of safety is going to be taken from you, and you're going to end up as slaves to another group of people, all because you've allowed these things into, uh, into your life, other gods between you and me. So it's with that premise that we look at our lives and whether or not they needed a reform. He said you need to reform your life. And I believe that you and I, if we could all be honest with ourselves, need some areas to be reformed in our life. And so as we look into this, I want to kind of give a little quick history, a little church history, so we can see how the church, not only there in the Old Testament, but then once the New Testament came along and we got the power of the Holy Spirit and we saw the apostles going out and planting churches and the church just exploded and people's lives are being transformed and miracles are happening. Well, then from that place over to the next 1,500 years, how the church progressed, what it became, and I was going to take the time and kind of bring you through it point by point, but then... As I added it up, it was going to take about seven or eight minutes. And then I found this little guy on YouTube who could do it in less than five. So I thought, hey, let's just play the video. So with that being said, a quick church history lesson so that you know exactly what has transpired over the years. Go ahead and play that. The story of Christianity in five minutes or less. The story of Christianity begins, of course, with Jesus Christ, from whom Christianity gets its name. After Jesus' resurrection from the dead... He sent his followers to spread the news of salvation across the world. His followers began in Jerusalem, but quickly spread out to the surrounding cities and nations. The popularity of Christianity exploded in the first hundred years after Jesus' return to heaven. Preachers such as Paul the Apostle traveled throughout the Roman Empire, spreading the word everywhere they went. Churches and gathering places for Christians sprang up in nearly every town. At first, these early Christians thought that Jesus would come back within their lifetimes, But as the original disciples grew old and began to pass away, they realized that they needed to prepare for a longer stay on earth, just in case. They began to establish more permanent, more connected churches with greater structure and official leaders. As Christianity spread throughout the land, Jews began to persecute Christians as liars and false teachers. Before this persecution, Christianity had generally been considered a part of Jewish beliefs. Now, Christianity began to be thought of as a religion of its own. Christianity expanded so fast that Roman authorities grew afraid of it. When a large section of Rome burned to the ground in AD 64, Emperor Nero blamed the Christians and made Christianity illegal in the Roman Empire. This began a massive, terrible persecution of Christians that lasted for over 200 years. Christians were forced to meet in secret under threat of torture and death. Finally, in 306 AD, Emperor Constantine came to power. Constantine claimed to have undergone a conversion to Christianity. In 313 AD, he issued the Edict of Milan, 
which made Christianity legal again and ended the persecution in the Roman Empire. Eventually, Christianity even became the official religion of the Roman Empire. Constantine ushered in a new phase of Christianity. Following the Edict of Milan, Christianity became popular. Christians such as Jerome, Ambrose, and Augustine became the great thinkers of the world. The churches, which had lost contact with each other during the persecution, held several important councils in which they established key points of Christianity. These councils established the list of books we now consider the Bible, threw out several false ideas that arose, made compromises between arguing churches. However, during the last of these councils, it became clear that there were major differences between churches in the East and churches in the West. The West had established a formal structure of church government including deacons, priests, bishops, archbishops, cardinals, and at the very top of the church, the Pope. The East, on the other hand, disliked having one man over the whole church. The problems grew until finally, in 1054 AD, the church split in two, with the Roman Catholic Church in the West and the Eastern Orthodox Church in the East. The Roman Catholic Church grew larger and larger over the next several centuries. As it did, several questionable teachings became part of the church. Some men began to protest against these practices, earning the name Protestants. Some of the most important Protestants were Erasmus, Ulrich Zwingli, and John Calvin. But the most important Protestant was Martin Luther. Yeah, come on somebody, that's a quick lesson in church history. So, uh, so uh, when, when the second century came around, uh, back to the, to the video piece uh, that they left out, um, we as Christians um, were considered a sect of Judaism until uh, Judaism started to persecute Christians. And so we became, if you will, our own religion, for lack of a better term. And so as a result, we took the name Catholic, which to us in that, in that era, in the second century, meant universal. In other words, we weren't just a sect. We weren't just like a Bible study from the Jewish uh, faith uh, of Judaism. But no, no, we're our own religion, and we're universal. And that's where we took on the concept of Catholic. And that was a, that was a, a healthy, popular term. And we used that to represent the fact that we were not just one little group somewhere you know, in, in Jerusalem, but we were all across the world, and we were a united front of believers in Christ. And so as a result of that, as you saw, the Roman Catholic Church after the split, we see that the Roman Catholic Church really took precedence there in Europe. And what happened with the Roman Catholic Church, as you go back and study it, was you see that the Holy Wars came from that group. You see that, and and that that was us as believers, as Christians, that was us. It was us that that grew up, you know, that were in Europe versus the the ones in the East. And so as a result, um, we see all the, 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 some of the terrible things that came from the papacy. We see see things like um, the Pope is God. God are likened to God, uh, that the Pope can absolve you of your sins when only Jesus can absolve us of our sins. And we see these things playing out. In fact, the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages owned one-third of all property in Europe. And as a controlling factor, they became not only controlling of our spiritual lives, but, uh, the people of Europe, but also politics as, as well as government. And what the way they did that is because they created, if you will, by way of, quote, Scripture, uh, they only had the Latin or the Vulgate, the Latin version of the Bible. And as a result, only, only those schooled in Latin could actually understand the Bible. The, the common populace could not understand the Bible because they didn't know the language. And so who knew the language of Latin and therefore said this is what the Bible says and everyone just had to believe it? Well, it was the Pope.
Pope and the priest and so forth and so on. So as a result, there became some manipulation in some of the expectations of God. And some of those pieces they used by way of, of getting the people to give. And, and it so transpired to the place that they began to, quote, believe in a purgatory. And the way, um, the way penance and indulgences came about is because of the concept in the Catholic Church in, in the Middle Ages that you were born a sinner but that you could be baptized seven days as an infant. You could be, have infant baptism after seven days and therefore get a restart or a cleansing of your soul. And then you were born, if you will, into Christianity. That's why even today, if you ask someone who's Catholic, you say, are you a Christian? They say, oh, no, I'm Catholic. Why? Because their belief system was I was born into it. Where well, you and I know that we have to make a choice to serve Jesus. There are no grandkids in heaven, only children. Those who've made Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. An infant can't make that decision. They don't have the cognitive ability to recognize that they're sinners saved by grace. And so as a result, the entire populace were born, if you will, into Christianity. And then as a result, their concept was that every time you sinned, that that caused you to have to spend more time in purgatory. So you would die and then you would be brought to a hellish place called purgatory where there would be some torture, not as bad as Hades, but there would be some. And that the longer that you were there was the result of the fact that you didn't do enough penance or you didn't confess your sins enough or you didn't light enough candles or you didn't buy enough indulgences. And so what transpired was people then were like, well, I don't want to spend forever in purgatory, so I need to go to church more. I need to do the sacraments more, the seven sacred sacraments, if you will. There's seven duties as a Christian or things that, that the church could do for you to make you more holy and everything from baptism to marriages and, and last rites and things like this. And so this was the whole concept. And so as a result, it got to the place where they were selling indulgences so that you could get your grandma out of purgatory because she didn't get all of her sins confessed. So she's going to have to spend a couple extra years. But if you'd pay enough money to the church, they could issue a piece of paper, which was an indulgence, which somehow supernaturally would get her out of purgatory quicker. And so this was the, the, the common concept of the Middle Ages with the Catholic Church. Well, think about that. So if you were a, a, a governing official or you were, you, owned, you, know, you were the head of Germany or wherever and you disagree with the Pope there in Rome, he just excommunicates you and you and your whole country's going to hell. We were all born Catholic. We don't want to go to hell. We can't have, make the Pope mad at us. And that's why, how they controlled throughout the Middle Ages. And that's where you saw a lot of uh, improper uh, behavior you see a lot of manipulation, things like that transpire within us, the church. We were Catholic at the time. That's what we were called. And so then what happened was, as the video pointed out, someone by the name of Martin Luther began to have some conflict with this thing. Now, Martin Luther lived in the late 1400s, early 1500s. And Martin Luther, his dad had been, uh, he, uh, he had uh, managed coal mines and things like that. And he wanted better for his son. So he uh, had enough money to send him to college to be a lawyer. And while Martin Luther was at college, he had this love for God. But he had this conflict because as he went to different places and viewed and studied different different places, he saw the, the, the immorality that existed, especially there in Rome, which was supposed to be where the Pope was at, and there was prostitution and all this. And he had this conflict of nature and with God. He loved God, and, and, he, and he struggled to see you know, that this is what it looks like. And then he had this experience where he was out in the open on a journey and, uh, and got, into, got into a lightning storm. Now, in those days, in the Middle Ages, if you got struck by lightning, it's because God wanted you dead. 
You had done something, and God was removing you from the planet. That was their concept. Even as, as Christian believers, if you will, that was their concept. And, and, and the story goes that Martin Luther had had a friend struck by lightning. And as this lightning storm is happening, he's out in the middle of nowhere without any cover. He got down on his knees, and he cried out to the patron saint, somebody, some female saint, if you will save me, I will go into the monastery. He survived the lightning storm, and to his parents' <laughs> chagrin left the, uh, his law school and went into a monastery and began to become a monk and obviously his dad was ticked off about that and in the monastery he sought God and he lived in a little room four by four and he wanted and he cried out and he fasted and he starved himself and he cut the little bowl thing on top of his head with the little exposure with the little hair along the sides come on somebody and if I go bald I'm going to shave the whole thing I'm not going to leave the hair side I don't want y'all to call me monk Adam anything like that and so as a result you know, he, he started struggling with the fact that no matter how much penance he paid, no matter how much uh, uh, he studied the word, how many times he memorized scripture and all this, that he still felt the guilt of his sin. In other words, he would have these moments and he'd have to go confess to another priest that I really did want to do that and I can't make that feeling go away. I can't make the desire to hate that dude who did this go away and I feel bad about that. And over and over and over again until they sent him over to Wittenberg, Germany, where he studied other, uh, under this other priest. And this priest kept telling him, he kept telling him, Martin, you have to stop thinking about your sin and start thinking about the goodness of God. It started him down a revelatory pathway. And then somewhere in that process at Wittenberg, as he is teaching in the university there, he came across and he got a hold to the scriptures in Greek. Because, again, in Europe we had it in Latin. And the Greeks began to move over to Europe. And now all of a sudden, the, the manuscripts in which the, the, uh, the original New Testament was written in, he now has access to that. And he starts reading it in Greek. And then he comes, come on somebody, across Romans chapter 1 and verse 17. I'll put it on the screen for you. And he all of a sudden he reads, For the gospel... For, excuse me, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, in the Latin, the way it was transcribed or the way it was understood is, I am justified. My sin is covered because I do righteous deeds. I do righteous deeds, and that covers my sin. And when he read it in the Greek, the way it was originally intended, there is nothing you can do to be righteous. Jesus Christ is the only righteous one. He died on a cross, and as a result, he then lends, if you will, portrays, puts upon our lives his righteousness. So when God the Father looks down at me, he doesn't see my wickedness. Come on, somebody. He sees the righteousness of Christ in me. And it's not something I can work for. It's not something I can perform uh, for. It's something I can receive when I ask for it and by faith receive it. I now am like Christ by faith, not by way of my own merit, not by way of my own effort, not by way of what I can do to get God to love me. And still today, Christians are struggling with the fact that God loves me if I do good, but he doesn't love me if I do bad. And you have a misappropriation of what righteousness looks like. It is by faith. Jesus did good because we can't do good. Somebody ought to shout amen. He did good, and then when I appropriate that and apply by faith his righteousness to my life, then that righteousness covers me, and then I respond 
respond in love. And there's where the good deeds come from. The good deeds do not get me righteousness. The good deeds are the result of being made righteous in my own guilt, in my own shame, in my own stupidity, in my own failures. But because he was perfect and he's now been applied to me. In fact, uh, Martin Luther called it alien righteousness. In other words, it wasn't his and not alien like you and I would know from X-Files or Men in Black, you know, little creatures running around. No, no, that it was foreign, that it wasn't something he deserved or had. It was alien to his ability, and it was then appropriated to him by faith. And when he had that understanding, now all of a sudden he's like, wait a minute. What we're doing is messed up. There's some things that we're doing. We're letting people, we're taking people's money so that they can get people out of hell or out of purgatory and these poor little people are working their brains out and spending half of their income and can you imagine that sales pitch out out at the church are you going to let your grandmother spend another day in hell for only 1995 you can you can shorten her right here you think the televangelists are bad. Can you imagine? And Martin Luther is struggling with these things because he's, he never intended not to be Catholic anymore. He never intended for a reformation. See, a reformation is the result of acknowledging something isn't right. So I'm calling for a reformation in your life because I want you to step back and look and go, something ain't right. Not, hey, let's overthrow Let's over. That was never his intent. He never. He, he he was born Catholic as he understood it. Catholic was Christian as he understood it. There was nothing else. There were no other denominations. There were no other breakoffs, if you will. So what he did was, as he studied the Word with the newfound understanding, wait a minute, we lost something over the last thousand years. We lost something. We lost what the Apostle Paul was teaching. And what had happened over the last couple hundred years there in, during the Renaissance is that Aristotle had been studied by the priests and the leaders more than the Apostle Paul because it was cool and hip. And they, all this humanism had made its way into the church. That's why the Pope could live lasciviously as he was doing. That's what had happened. It had gotten in there, just like in a lot of people's lives that call themselves Christians. And in that, Martin said... I can't live like this. And he wrote 95 theses. 95, hey, we got some stuff we need to fix. And he nailed them to the door. Now, this was a common practice if you were a professor of, 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 of knowledge and that you would, not, you would write down the things that you thought, hey, let's argue about this a little bit. Let's debate about this. I think this is how I see it, but I'm open to other people just helping me. And so he nailed it to the door. His expectation wasn't that he'd make the Pope mad. His, he, he was a nobody. He was just a little monk down here. He nailed it to the door so the other monks would say, hey, let's sit down and argue this back and forth. But what happened? was he didn't realize he was coming against indulgences well the pope needed to rebuild saint peter's cathedral and so he had upped the ante of getting everyone to give indulgences because he needed the money to rebuild and he also incorporated one of these idiots who needed more money and to pay back how he had gotten his position uh, albert maints or something m-a-i-n-z and so he was manipulative in the whole thing the moment that Martin Luther nailed this, he didn't even realize what he stepped into. He stepped into a mess because what he was doing was defying the Pope and his plan to rebuild St. Peter. He had no idea. He was just trying to say, I don't think we should be doing that. As I read through Scripture, that looks wrong. Don't y'all think that? And before he knew it, he was in the midst of a mess. And it's from there that the Reformation came. Friend, I want you to know something. We all need a reform. There are some things that have gotten in our lives 
that God wants to work out because they have sat there for thousands of years in the church and what started off as something good had become something wicked. What had started off in just kind of ignorance had now become manipulative and harmful and hateful and wrongful and people weren't saved by grace and by faith anymore but by works and now all of a sudden people who didn't even know God were quote going to heaven because they spent money and they were wicked manipulative perverted men men and women of stature and all of a sudden because they could make write a check bigger than anybody else that quote got them to heaven and friend this breakdown was a result of thousands of years of little things sitting there and whittling away at the truth of what the gospel is really all about. And it took one little monk have a revelation of Romans chapter 1. Friend, I want you to have a revelation today that nothing those little things that are continuing. Listen, what started off as just a little bit of offense has now become a bitterness and you haven't talked to that woman in five, six, seven years and that's your mama. That what started as what you thought was just a good idea has now become an idol in your life. What started as a good job that was going to be a blessing from the Lord has now become the idol of your life and you can't even interact with your family or know the Lord anymore because you're so busy trying to be successful in your blessing. What started as a disagreement between your son and you has now become a wedge to where you don't even talk anymore and we got to go back and we got to get those little things out and we got to have a reformation. Are you there? Say yes. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're clapping. So I wanted to illustrate this a little bit better today because I understand some of you, when the moment I started talking church history, you went, oh, I got it. I'm with you, even though I'm spitting and jumping. So I thought I would illustrate this a little bit about how we need to reform some things based on a situation I recently had at my home. And uh, I had some critters get in, in, in my house and just about destroy my house, and I had to do something about it. So with that being said, here's a little bit of illustration on how you and I can change some things and recognize that uh, the critters will get in if we're not careful. Go ahead, play that. Hey guys, so I'm at my house here, and uh, I think I've got a problem. We got to go check it out. I got Papa Mimi here, but uh, in the springtime, I had this woodpecker that decided that my house was going to be his um, his mating call spot. If you know anything about woodpeckers, what they do is they uh, they find the loudest sounding thing that they can drill holes into because it that noise attracts all the females and says that they're manly because they made a lot of noise and so. I heard them on the side of the house, and they were banging and making a lot of noise. And so uh, let's go kind of check it out and see if we're okay. I, hopefully we don't have to do a lot because we don't have a lot of money right now. We're pastors. And uh, so me and Pop, they know a lot about it. We're going to go check it out. So let's go see. Oh, my goodness. You've got to be kidding me. We might have a problem. Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. Look at all the one. Look at all the little holes too. All right. So to be honest, <clears throat> I knew the woodpecker was doing this. I came out. I saw him. I thought about shooting him, and then I realized, of course, obviously you can't kill a woodpecker. And uh, and um, so I made a little Tabasco spray, and I sprayed it up here when it was just like these couple little holes. And uh, and I thought that would do it. But he kept coming back. It didn't affect him. And now he has drilled so many holes. And, uh, and what we're seeing now, really, I was going to leave it alone and just say, well, I'll go putty those holes after a while. And I got lazy, and I didn't. I'm telling the truth now. And, uh, and what has motivated me now to check this out is because the squirrels got in. They came through these holes. They've been up in, in this one and that one over there. And I've been hearing them in the walls. And I guess they're storing up for winter and making babies, whatever else they're doing. And you can hear them. It's like on the other side of the sheetrock in my bedroom. Around my, around my bedroom, I'm like, oh my God, what is that? It's demons in the wall, and it's squirrels. So if I'd have taken care of it when I should have, it wouldn't be this big project. Now it's going to be this huge, big project. What was little has become large because I didn't deal with it when it was small. But at least 
I'm not going to lose, you know, my house isn't going to rot away because I'm going to get to it. Look at all the water damage it's caused because now the water's gotten back behind it all because I let that thing sit there. So work to the wise, deal with it when you, when you have an opportunity and uh, get it cleaned out and, uh, and then it won't expand and become a bigger problem. So that's what we got to do. The project starts now. Let's clean it out. Let's remodel this thing and make it work. Come on. So we got to change. It's time to change it out, right? You got to get down to it. So you got, you got to make this, um, this moment when you recognize, hey, there's some things in my life that just I've let linger and I got to deal with them. Nobody wants to deal with those things. Nobody wants to go and make it right with their, you know, with their ex-wife that they haven't talked to in 16 years, but yet you can't even have a conversation to try to pick up your kid and that kind of whole thing is still brutal and wicked and, and, and worthless and you're supposed to be a Christian. Listen, nobody wants to do that, but the longer that it sits the more damage it does. And I'm talking about things in our life that are like sinful things that you and I need to reform in. There's this crazy thing that happened in, in the Old Testament that I want to point out to you. It's found in Numbers chapter 21 and verse four, uh, chapter, uh, verses 4 through 9. Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. And let me read this to you. And this is when the children of Israel were out in the wilderness. And it says, And then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die out in the wilderness? For they had no food and no water. And our souls, uh, and our souls loathed this worthless bread. He's given a manna from heaven and they're mad about it. So the Lord sent fiery serpents. Let's read that again. Verse 6. So the Lord sent wicked demonic snakes among the people and they bit the people and many of the people how many 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 some a couple many of the people of israel died therefore i'm telling listen let me just let's make this statement publicly the only good snake is a dead snake katie i know that that offends you but still i love you girlfriend got pythons all up in her house and stuff if you her next door neighbor, be looking because she lost one the other day. I just want you to know it's in your house. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. Yes, you did, stupid. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray. Oh, pray to the Lord that he takes away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Oh, God, they're scared now. They want to repent. And look what the Lord does. So the Lord comes up with this crazy idea. The Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent or a bronze snake out of metal, and he put it up on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent or the bronze snake, he lived. So, so this is how this works out. So they're grumbling, they're complaining, they're being, they're being mad at God. So God's like, whatever, let me show you what's about to happen. So he sends snakes. Can you imagine? Can you imagine waking up in the morning, going outside? Come on, you saw that airplane stupid movie with the snakes. Some of y'all saw that Anaconda movie. Come on now, you know, listen, ooh, creepy, right? Well, they're everywhere. They're biting everything. You can't leave your toddler sitting on the ground in his playpen. He's going to get bit by a snake. He's going to die. And so they're, they're walking and living their whole day like this. And they can't keep their head up. Why? Because they don't know if they're going to step on a snake or if a snake's going to jump out of a bush, something like that. And so they're having this horrible season, and they're dying like crazy. So they cry out to God, and God says, okay, here's how we're going to work this thing. Moses, go get some metal and hammer out 
a snake out of bronze and put that sucker up on, on a pole. And then if they get bit, tell them to go look at the pole. Now, that's crazy medicine, if you ask me. I mean, if you came to me and say, Pastor, the Lord told me that if everyone in rebellion in the church will look up outside at the light, I put a little Pokemon sticker out there. It's going to heal them. It's going to deliver them. Anyone with cancer is going to deliver I would lay hands on you and try to cast the devil out of you right there. I'm just telling you. So Moses does this. And, and, and what God is doing, if I could summarize what I think he's doing, because there's no clarity. But what I think God is doing in this is saying, listen, you've not trusted me. I'm going to give you something crazy. And you're going to have to put your trust in me even in something dumb like this. And so they make this snake. They put it up on the pole. And everyone who looks at it gets healed. Ah, ah, get me to the pole. Get me to the pole. And they run out there. Ah, it goes away. It's great. The problem is, is 400 years later, they still got the snake on the pole. And now they're worshiping it. Turn with me quickly to 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse 4. This is the story of young King Hezekiah. He's 25 years old when he becomes king. He loves the Lord. He's after his father David, if you will, or the King David. He acts like him, wants to do God's will, where the other kings had brought in idols and different things. And so it says in verse 4, he removed the high places. This is all the Satan worship places where they get up on top of a mountain and cut, cut themselves and dance around. He removed all the high places and broke the sacred pillars. And he cut down the wooden image, all the idols that they had, and broke into pieces, stay with me, the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehoshetan. 400 years later, what God meant to bring healing now has become an idol. Listen, I know people who prayed to God, God, please give me a child, please do a miracle. And 15 years later, that little hellion no more knows Jesus. They haven't raised him in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And that little thing, what was a blessing, has become an idol. And I see people all the time, God, give me this job. And now that job has taken them away from the Lord. Or give me this car if I could just get this. And what has happened was what God meant to bless them became an idol of their heart. Friend, can I tell you something? That's what happened with the Catholic Church. What was good and what God was doing originally, and over time, it became idols and it became perverted in the way that they were worshiping something that wasn't the living God and they were living inappropriately according to the Holy Scriptures and friend if we're not careful the blessings of God will become idols in our own life and you and I need to stop back up and say what's all that banging on the outside of my house what's got, gotten up into my sheetrock and let's pull those critters out and let's do a reformation of our life and get that bitterness out and get that judgmentalism out listen I can't tell you how many people I meet as I've traveled the world who've been in church 30 40 50 years know the Bible, I know the word of God, I've read it over and over and over again, well it didn't work because you're still bitter, you're still a jerk, nobody likes you, nobody will follow you, surely if you know the word of God that much and you've been with Jesus that long, point to me the people that are getting saved around you, point to me the people that you're raising from the dead, something is broken, why? Because you've let critters get in there and you haven't reformed and you constantly, constantly, constantly got to be watching out for the little things that the enemy brings that start as good things sometimes, start as little truths. It even start as, as little negative things, but, you know, it's okay. It won't destroy you. But the longer they sit there, the longer that rebellion, the longer that criticism, the longer, come on, stay with me, longer that little sexual thing gets in there, the longer it starts to destroy until ultimately you look up and you're like the Catholic Church. You're no, no longer a true representation of who Jesus Christ wanted you to be. And so you have to be reformed from the outside and split away from you so that there can be a real representation of Christ on the planet. That being said, let me give you a couple ways that you and I can reform or think what it will take for you and I to reform. Write these down, if you will. Number one, number one, if we, you and I are going to reform, we've got to have some admittance that we haven't arrived yet. 
Come on, somebody. Have you arrived yet? Because I haven't. In fact, I've figured it out. We don't arrive until we get to heaven, and then we realize, oh, my goodness, I was an idiot. Until that time, we're stepping out, our, working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean we're, we're uh, by works we're getting saved. No, what that means is we're constantly, constantly remodeling. We're constantly backing up and pulling that out and adding to it and, and, and adjusting. What, that's what it's talking about. And you and I must admit that we don't have it all together yet. That's the only way that you can keep growing. It's the only way that you and I can be a life-giving source to a lost and dying world. Listen, my dream for you is that you heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out devils. You say, why is that your dream for me? Because that's what the Bible says you were supposed to do. It says, and these signs shall follow those who believe. Are you a believer? Say yes. In my name, they'll cast out devils. They'll heal the sick. They'll raise. That's with expectation. You can tell someone who's gotten so many critters in there because there's no longer any power relevant to the need of hurting people around them. Here's a piece that you got to understand, and that is humility is required for reform. You see people who won't humble themselves. I try my best to show you the weaknesses of my life so that you don't take me and put me on a pope level as though somehow I am closer to God than you are. We're all on the same playing field. Somebody's got to be the quarterback. But let me tell you something. The owner and his son are up in the, in the skybox, and it's their team, whatever they want to do. And their coach, the Holy Spirit, is sending plays into me, and I'm just running the plays, and you're scoring as much as I'm scoring, and you're winning as much as I'm winning, and we all get the ring together. And But I'm not, I'm not the superhero. I'm not the coach, nor am I the owner. Come on, you there? Say yes. This is where the breakdown happened in the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages. They thought they were the owners. But they owned Christianity. They, they, they owned the people. Oh, friend. Oh, but for grace. But for grace. So go us. First step, you and I have to admit that we haven't arrived yet. Second step, that if we're going to reform, it's going to take some time and some energy. Do you know why there are a hundred holes that the woodpeckers did on the side of my house? Because when I saw him doing it and I went out there, I'm like, I'm, I got my pellet gun. I was going to kill him. And I realized I can't kill him. Because we have this rule in my house. If you kill it, you have to eat it. Okay, and so, and so I ain't eating a woodpecker, I'm going to tell you that right now. Not to mention, it's going to cost me about $300 in fines for killing, you know, a woodpecker. You can't kill a woodpecker. And not only that, but what's that, half a nugget. I mean, that's only 99 cents in McDonald's. I'm not going to waste my life and, and pay $300 for it. And that was my concept. So I tried, I made a little half attempt. The woodpecker was like, he was caging. I guess he liked it. I mean, it didn't even affect him. He kept after it. It was on the second story. I had to get ladders and all that. My wife's like, you need to fix that. You need to fix that. You're going to make it worse. I'm like, be quiet, woman. And I let it go. And I let it go. And he went away. He went away. He finally went away. I was like, thank you, Jesus. See, my prayers work. I am a man of God. He went away. And it was great. And then the squirrels got in. And they did. Listen, you know they're in my wall. You know what they're doing. They're making babies. They're pooping everywhere. It's nasty up inside of there. And I'm so mad about it. And then I said, I don't want to do it. I know it. it's going to take me time. It's going to take me energy. So I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call somebody and get them out here. And they came out here and they gave me a few thousand dollar quote. I said, hey, I think we can do that ourselves. We need to find a way. Listen, you know why people won't deal with the little sinful messes in their life? Because it's going to take time. It'll take some energy. So you're going to have to divert some energy away from all the other little stuff that you love doing. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to maybe not watch so much TV. You're maybe going to have to not go hang out with a friend so much to get control over your finances. You're going to have to get some control over this. It's going to take some time and energy. Here's the third thing that I know that we're going to have to do if we're going to reform, and that is we're going to have to face our fears. 
You're going to have to start facing your fears in this situation. I say it like this all the time. Excuse is the language of failure. Excuse is the language. I, I can't stand to work with people who make excuses. They have already given themselves over to being a failure. Do you know men and women who succeed, they do not have excuses. Think about the people that you know are the most successful. You present them with a problem, they have all kinds of difficulty just like you. But you know what? They overcome them. Why? Because they don't let excuses be the language that they live by or that which guides them or directs them. Great leaders overcome those things. Friend, let me tell you something. you got plenty of reason not to want to do what you need to do. There's plenty of reason. They may not respond well. One of, our, one of our members came to me and said, you know what, I blew it yesterday. I blew up the other day at work, excuse me, and, and cursed them all out. And I, I repented. I feel so bad. I hadn't been able to sleep. I said, you know what you need to do? She said, yes. I said, what? She said, I got to go tell them I'm sorry. I said, yes, sir. That's how you get them critters out of there. You got to face that fear. I don't want to do it. They're gonna, what if they don't receive it? They may not. But that's no excuse to live in fear. It's no excuse that it, you tried it one time and it didn't work. Excuses cause you to be a failure. I think about like a, like a you know, uh, George Washington Carver. I think about, you know, they wouldn't even let that man, wouldn't even let that man be educated. He had to sit outside of the schoolhouse. He became one of the brightest men of our nation. I mean, you talk, he had plenty of excuses he could make. He overcame those. Why? Because he was intent on reforming his life and being better and doing better. He was also a godly man, committed to the things of God. Listen, I want you to understand something. That which you don't confront will dismantle you a little bit at a time. People hate to confront things. I get it. You don't want to deal with it. You're tired. You're working. You feel like you're justified in what you're doing because you do this over here. Frank, can I tell you something? That which you're justified in not dealing with is dismantling your family. You know why some of these young people don't want to serve God? Because they see in us not a genuine Christianity. Because we've let little foxes spoil the vine. We've let little things get in the walls and continue. And they've seen us cuss their mama out. They've seen us, they've seen us uh, treat them with disrespect. They've seen us uh, lie about things on our, on our uh, insurance and on our taxes. They've seen us misappropriate the neighbor. They've seen those things. And so they look at us and go, well, you fussing at me for not doing my homework. And so you and I have to face those things. That's scary. It's, hu it's humiliating. But can I tell you something? If it lingers and lingers and lingers, it will ultimately destroy you. You've met those people. You've been to those churches. You know those people who call themselves Christians. They no more love Jesus. They're, they're a terrible representation of genuine Christianity. How did the Pope become so manipulative, doing a good thing to, to raise money to build a cathedral? Friend, I tell you what, let the cathedral die and, and, and fall down in the ground and let's win souls and help people make it to heaven. Let us not spend our effort and energy being manipulative so we can build buildings. Come on, somebody. You and I need to be a genuine representation of Christ on the earth, and so you and I need reform. I need it. You need it. It's time for it. Would you stand with me all across the room? You guys have been gracious to me this morning. I hope this will help you like it's going to help me and my family. By the end of this, we're going to be writing out decorations and statutes of who we are and what we represent, and we're going to be nailing our own 95 theses to the door, or at least put it on the refrigerator or something. Would you reach over and grab the hand of that person next to you for just a moment? And as you stand there with your head bowed and your eye closed, I want you to let the Lord minister to you. I do not presume for a moment to know what you might be dealing with or what critters have gotten in your wall or what misappropriation 
of the Holy Scriptures you've allowed to dominate your life like the church in the Middle Ages did. I don't know, but I know what this one thing, if you don't deal with it, it'll end in disaster. The church had to be split because the Pope wouldn't humble himself and say, you're right. Marriages have been lost because someone wouldn't admit, yeah, I let that go too long. I didn't nip that in the bud. Families destroyed. Christianity lost. People burning in hell who went to church because they let those things continue on. In our opening scripture, our key scripture, he said to his own children, his own children, Abraham's seed, he said, listen to me. If you don't reform and change, you won't be able to stay in the place that I provided for you. It's a type and a shadow what his nature is like. He loves us. He wants us. The enemy wants us too. So as you stand there with your head bowed and your eye closed, holding the hand of your brother and your sister next to you, what have you allowed to take root? Have you become a gossip again? It started with just talking a little bit. You got little seeds of unbelief. You don't trust the Lord, so you do it in your own strength in some areas. Martin Luther was so overwhelmed with his own inability. And when he found the revelation of Christ, justification by faith, righteousness by faith, today I want you to apply his righteousness over your life. Because as you do that, he'll point out, hey, this doesn't look like me. Oh, and in response, your love response will be like, Lord, let's get rid of that. Let's get that out of there. Oh, it started with one or two beers at the end of a day because you were tired and worn out. Has it become alcoholism? Tell the truth. Or will it? I'm not preaching against a particular thing. I'm just trying to warn you. Man, those squirrels destroyed my house. That woodpecker did so much damage because of my own laziness, because I didn't put it in check. I didn't put it in check. So it cost me a lot of time, a lot more money, and a lot of effort. And I'm humbling myself and admitting that. Father, I pray for our congregation. I pray for me and my family, Lord. Lord, we don't want to be people that you have to send a prophet to to warn us to reform. We see in your word your constant love for us, your desire to have us close to you, to be in best friend relationship with you. But Lord, there are those little things that we allow to, they don't look like you, they're not like you. Those attitudes, those anger pieces, that gossip, that sexual stuff, all those little dumb things. And God, we just surrender ourselves. So you fall, we fall on the grace of God and the righteousness of Christ. But Lord, in that whole process, or would you point out to us that which we need to tear out? Or that which we just need to remove and say, I'm done with that. I'm not going to be sloppy anymore with that. I'm just going to get rid of that. Father, I just thank you right now that you'll bring revelation to these, your sons and daughters. Now, if you let go of the hand of that person next to you, keep your head bowed for just a moment. Maybe you're in this place today and you say, Pastor, come to the church. And as you've been speaking, I, my heart, my heart feels, heart feels heavy. The truth of the matter is, Pastor, I'm not a Christian. If I died today, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't go to heaven. Maybe you used to go to church and 
used to be a Christian, called yourself a believer, and just life happened. And the truth of the matter is, you can't hide it, can't pretend. You're dominated by sin. You don't even know God. You're not friends anymore. You're not best friends. He's sure not your Lord. Listen, I got such great news for you. He's not mad at you. You're here. So you have a heart for him. This is easy. We can fix this. We can put you together. In fact, I tell you this. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on a cross and paid for every sin you will ever commit. Your name, your name has a file folder, an account full of grace and forgiveness. So, ooh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Say, well, how do I access that? I'm so glad you asked. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, if you'll take him as your Lord by faith, a God that you cannot see, God that you've never shaken hands or hugged his neck, if you will take him on by faith, his righteousness will cover all your sin. That account will be accessed by you and your faith in him. So, ooh, how do I do that? Friend, let me tell you something. It starts with a prayer, a prayer of dedication, a prayer of commitment, a prayer of saying, Jesus, I now decide you are my Lord. I will follow you, not my own ways, not my own desires, but you. And so today, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to ask if you're ready to make a private decision in a public venue. If you're ready to make Jesus your Lord, some of you are tired of it. You're ready for the change. Life has dealt you such a bunch of blows, and you've been by yourself through them. I'm not saying that life won't throw curveballs at you, but at least you'll have the King of Glory to walk you through it. At least at the end of the day, your security will be in the fact that you'll spend eternity with Him. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're not a Christian, but today you want to repent and make Jesus your Lord. You say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm ready. With no one looking around, if that's you, would you just quickly throw up your hand right where you're at? Thank you. God bless you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Quickly across the room. Give you about three seconds. God bless you. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you, ma'am. You can put it back down. God bless you, brother. Anyone else? Just a couple more seconds left. This is for you and Jesus. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. You can put it back down. I see it. Anyone else? Make sure I see it. Amen. Amen. You can put your hands down now. Now, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's a prayer of repentance. In fact, I'm going to get the whole audience to pray out loud with you. Maybe you couldn't lift your hand. You just didn't have the courage. Well, right there where you stand, mean this prayer with all of your heart. There's nothing magical about it. What's supernatural is that you said, I want God. That's what's supernatural. He's going to respond to that. And so today, let's go before the Lord and ask him to forgive us of our sins. Those who lifted their hands, I want you to mean this with all of your heart. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, Jesus. today Today. I I surrender. I recognize I'm a sinner. I acknowledge that I've been away from you. But today, I give you my life. Thank you for dying on a cross, forgiving my sins. Today, I accept your grace. And today, I declare I am a Christian. I ask you, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Write my name in your book of life. I promise to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray right now for every man and woman in this room who lifted their hand, prayed that prayer maybe for the first time or a homecoming prayer back to you, oh God. I pray right now that the peace of God would blanket them, oh God. That when the lies say, oh, you didn't really mean that. You know you're still going to go back and do them drugs. You know you're going to go cheat on that girl again. Father, I pray when those lies come that they'll remember that you are faithful when we're unfaithful. And Lord, that they would be overwhelmed with love 
in response to your grace and your love to us. That their sins are remembered no more. That the Bible says you've taken them and you've thrown them as far as the east is to the west. In other words, no matter how far I go west, they're still a west. No matter how far I go east. And those sins are that far. They're gone. They're not accredited to our account anymore. But your grace and your mercy is. And so, Lord, I pray for a peace. And when they lay their head on their pillow tonight, they can say, you know what? I may not be perfect. I got a lot to learn. But I'm forgiven. And my life is wrapped in the hands of the living God. Lord, thank you for your kindness. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. And all God's people shouted amen.